the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the antithesis. How do you know if you're in a post-truth culture? How do you know if you're in a post-truth culture as a Christian? Today we're going to talk about these matters, recognizing that postmodernism as an academic discipline has largely dissipated. There's not a lot of books out there today that are making a case in a major way for postmodernism. But this movement of the last 20-30 years has had a major effect in our day. It has a lingering effect. One of the ways postmodernity has influenced us is it has made truth a matter of the past. Today, we adjudicate matters based on personality, based on identity claims, based on a therapeutic mindset. We could go on. What this means for Christians is that we are influenced by our post-truth culture, even in ways that we're not aware. We might say that we stand upon the word of God. We might claim Jesus Christ as the living word of God. We might recognize as believers in truth that we have both an epistemological and a personal foundation for truth. The Word of God is our standard of truth, and Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. The truth incarnated and took on flesh and came to this earth. So Christ is truth, even as Scripture is truth. But we are influenced today by a post-truth culture, whether we know it or not. In this podcast, I want to run through five ways, five signs that we have been affected by a post-truth culture that we might not be aware of. Many of us are not aware of these. First, we read disagreement over ideas as a personal attack. In other words, we personalize matters that should not be personalized. No one likes to be confronted over issues. No one likes to be told they're wrong. It's not a pleasant experience. It's a hard experience, frankly. But when you're in a post-truth culture, you not only have an initial hesitation in your spirit, an initial check, an initial wince when someone challenges you, you read the whole disagreement over ideas as a personal attack, as if any adjudication of what is true, what is right and wrong more broadly, is a matter of warring people. So basically, it is unkind to disagree. If you're picking up that spirit in a conversation. Suffice it to say that you are in a post-truth climate, whether people realize it or not. Disagreement, we need to say in response to this first sign, is not personal attack. Of course, conversations, debates, disagreements can get personal. We've all experienced that. We've all done that. We've all had that happen to us sinfully in all those respects. 
But we need to be very clear today. Disagreeing over ideas, including theology, including spirituality, including the right way to interpret scripture, including wokeness as one major example in 2021, is not to be equated with attacking someone. Disagreeing over ideas is disagreeing over ideas. It is not going ad hominem. It is not hating someone. It is not necessarily wronging someone. In many cases, you will not be wronging someone by disagreeing with them. Some of the best growth in your life will come when people disagree with you, dispute what you say, challenge what you say. Of course, we should always do this in a, in a Christian way, bearing the fruits of the Spirit. We don't want to do this in a proud, antagonistic, worldly way. And for a lot of us, that's where a lot of our personal spiritual growth comes. It comes in disagreeing well. Again, this isn't something easy. This isn't something you snap your fingers and you've got it perfectly down. But we need to make sure that we ourselves are not letting a post-truth culture influence us by treating disagreement as hostility, as sin. It is no such thing. Second, you may be in a post-truth culture, and you likely are, if you hear this response to a challenge over ideas. How on earth could you question, insert the name of the person being discussed? Here's where we see how a post-truth culture, again, makes everything personal. And we're sharpening the point here with this second one. How could you question this person? In other words, we don't simply read disagreement over ideas as an attack generally. We personalize it. Uh, Discussing the body of thought of person X, theologian Y, pastor Z is out of bounds. You can't even touch them. You can't even consider their ideas. Anyone who would think that this person, this pastor, this leader, this Christian president of a school, whatever it may be, anyone who would dare to question or challenge this figure is obviously out of bounds because no one would question them. If you are hearing that kind of formulation, you are hearing a post-truth culture talking. You are hearing the influence, really, of post-modernity. You are having intellectual claims and truth claims be rendered personal. And the assumption here is that this person in question should never be questioned, which is ridiculous. I want you to hear that in strong terms because they're appropriate here. Everyone but God gets questioned because everyone but God gets things wrong. It is entirely right to bridle at Jesus Christ being questioned. It is 1,000% correct to recoil at the word of God being said to be untrue or errant. That is an entirely appropriate response. But here's the deal. For everybody who is not God, there are going to be moments for all of us, me included, when we need to be questioned. You listening to this podcast, you are going to have moments when it is the grace of God that you be questioned. This will not necessarily be your favorite experience of the month or the week. (laughs) Let that be said. But you need it. We all need it. We need to be questioned. None of us is perfect. None of us is God. We all stumble in many ways. James 3, 2 says, Have we forgotten 
this biblical word in 2021? Do we no longer believe the scripture? Do we think that we are perfect? Do we think that the leaders we follow, the ones we most closely align with, have achieved a godlike status? We need to think very carefully on this count because I fear from what I see on social media, what I hear in conversation, that we are in danger of giving human people godlike status. And that is a terrible, terrible reality if we are falling prey to that. God is perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect. The Holy Spirit is perfect. Father, Son, and Spirit deserve to be treated with complete trust and respect. Father, Son, and Spirit are God, each of them a divine person. No one outside of the Trinity has that status, even close. Everyone outside of Father, Son, and Spirit who is a being, who exists, is a creature. This is what we call the creator-creature distinction. The creator-creature distinction is not just for high-level apologetic discussions. The creator-creature distinction matters for your own interaction with those who disagree with you. It matters for your handling of personal pride. You need to recognize you are a creature. You will be a creature until the end of your life. You will be a creature when all eternity is realized in Christ and you dwell in the new heavens and new earth, you will never cease to be a creature. And that has profound implications for the right to question you and any person. Third sign that you've been affected by a post-truth culture. You say something like, if person X is on the left, who could ever be considered sound? If this pastor is seen as woke, who could ever be anything but woke? That, again, is a very common phrasing today. People say it a good bit, often in defense. But here's what we need to recognize. People can drift. People can change. People can morph. People can fall into error. What did Paul say about Demas? That he had fallen in love with this present age. He'd fallen in love with this world. Demas changed. Now, God knew his heart, of course, from the beginning. But we need to be very clear that we don't know people's hearts. Again, that distinction, creator-creature, matters so much. I don't know someone's heart. They seem to be a Christian. By all evidences, they're a Christian. I can even go so far as to affirm them as a Christian and welcome them into the faith and life of the local church. But I don't ultimately know someone's heart. So never fall prey to the mistake, the, the real error of thinking that people are going to stay the same until the day they die. We know that people change. We know that people reveal themselves. Judas, thinking of the 12 apostles, was never a born-again believer. He was never a Christian, not even 1%. So he outed himself by betraying his Savior. But suffice it to say that if you had known Judas from point A to point B in his apostleship, you would recognize him in the later stages as having drifted or changed showing himself to be something different than who you thought he was. That would all be accurate. People are not always going to stay the same. There are false converts out there. There are wolves in sheep's clothing out there. There are born-again believers who drift, who drift in their theology, who drift in their 
lifestyle. That's why Paul says to Timothy to watch your life and doctrine closely. What is the implication there? The implication is that there's something to be watched because if you don't pay close attention to it, what will happen? Drift will happen. Friends, let us never approach people in our local church, people in our family, certainly Christian leaders who uh, have many temptations. Let's never approach any person as if they are fixed in stone as the solid Christian we believe them to be. We pray they'll stay that way. We want them to stay that way. They may not stay that way. In God's providence, people do drift. We pray that happens not to us. Pray God will make us remain faithful. But this is a real possibility in this world. So we need to never communicate in any form that people cannot change, cannot fall into error, cannot drift in their life, cannot drift in their sound doctrine. They surely can. And this is happening all around us today. Men we thought were strong, rock ribbed in the Reformed faith, are not standing up for the truth. Many of you will know that my book, Christianity and Wokeness, tackles this head on, just as Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, did. My book is a theological study of wokeness, and Vody's book is that. And it is also kind of a study of the movement, the reformed movement of the last five years or so. And what you see, if you take these two books together, published by Salem, Christianity and Wokeness and Fault Lines, is that tragically, men I have looked up to, respected, personally known, been dear friends with, have drifted, have changed, have embraced error. They haven't done it all in the same form. And I don't mean to indicate that they haven't also taught good things, true things, done real ministry. But people can drift. We need to be very clear about this. Fourth, fourth sign that you're in a post-truth culture. You avoid clarity on issues. You choose silence. You choose not to define yourself. In fact, that's what you're known for. It is clear that you are unclear. What an indictment for a preacher or teacher of the word of God. One of the worst things that could be said about us is that we avoid clarity. We choose silence. We decide to be undefined. We don't want to call out evil. We, we don't want to be clear about falsehood. We want to stay in the mushy middle. Why would we do this? Why is this such a temptation? Because for many of us, being liked and having the respect and applause of men matters more to us than having the approval of God. Every person faces this temptation. Every Christian minister, every worker in the kingdom of Jesus Christ knows this battle. We all do. We all have palpable moments when we could fall silent, when we could not define ourselves when we could stay undefined. We all falter in this respect. But fundamentally, the goal of our ministry is not to be unclear, to be silent, and to be undefined. It is the opposite. It is to speak with clarity. It is to not be silent. It is to define ourselves. It is to be clear in what we stand for in order that 
people would hear the truth and by the grace of God would be saved and transformed and sanctified. What are we supposed to do per the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 16 to 20? We're supposed to teach disciples to observe all that Christ commanded in his life and ministry. All. Is that a minor discipleship mandate, or is that a comprehensive discipleship mandate? I think it's very clear that it is the second. We are called to bring people into the biblical worldview. We are called to make disciples who know sound doctrine. We are called to define things for people. This is the ministry of truth that we are in. We are not in post-truth ministry. We are not justified by doubt. We do not lionize distrust of God. We emphasize that God gives what? Faith. Saving faith in Christ. That is the doorway to the Christian faith. Faith is trust in Christ. Not faith mixed with doubt. Trust mixed with Lack of assurance. It means that you are setting your whole heart and mind, your eternity, on Christ. You are banking everything on Jesus. And then when you become a Christian, you don't try to stay in a fog. You don't keep things hazy. You certainly don't if you're going into ministry. You have to teach the counsel of God. This isn't your truth. This isn't your Bible. This isn't your Christianity. God owns the copyright to all of this. And your ministry is about leading people into the truth so that they will not believe lies and sin against God. So hear me very clearly. If you are sensing that you are in a post-truth climate in your local church, in your institution, among your friends, whatever it may be, I encourage you to take whatever steps you can to be around those who choose clarity, clear speech, and definition of theology. Do whatever is needed. This doesn't mean that you fight every battle that comes. It doesn't mean that on social media, there's never a Twitter squabble that you pass by. Don't confuse one for the other. There are many things you probably shouldn't comment on. There are many debates you don't need to enter. And this is a matter, as the book of Proverbs shows us over and over again, of increasing godliness, wisdom, and conformity to God. In a New Testamental sense, conformity to the image of Christ. But fundamentally, the the Christian ministry and the Christian faith is a defined faith. Fifth, a sign that you've been affected by a post-truth culture, you find your unity not in God's truth, but in personalities. What a tragedy. We have lived in Reformed evangelicalism through a very personality-driven moment in recent years. A lot of people did get won over to the doctrines of grace and a big vision of God and a real sense of the importance of the gospel in shaping their identity. There has been a lot of good that has been done by this later wave of the Reformed movement in the last 10 to 15 years. We need to state that very clearly. But we need to also be very clear that we do not find our unity in human people. We don't find our unity in a denomination. 
We don't find our unity in shared convictions even. Ultimately, we find our unity in God and God alone. And yes, in the truth of God. That is where our unity is to be found. So doctrine matters humongously. But ultimately, you've got to take pains here. We are not those who simply know doctrine. You must know doctrine, but then you must live by doctrine. That is when you see that your Christian faith is really and truly grounded in God. I need to wrap this up, but I want to be very clear that we are in a post-truth culture today in a secular sense. And tragically, as Christians, we are seeing many signs that our post-truth culture is affecting us. My prayer for you is that you will be a Christian who stands on the solid rock of the Word of God. That is my prayer. I pray as well that as we face this major generational challenge of wokeness, that you will get equipped on this issue. I encourage you to pick up Christianity and wokeness, how the social justice movement has hijacked the gospel, and the way to stop it, it's just out. Please do pick it up. I know many of you have and will. And I pray that that book and many others, many other sound resources can be a part of equipping you to know the truth of God and to know how the culture is not telling you the truth. There is no call in the Bible for you to synthesize Christianity with any system, to marry the gospel with any other way of salvation. Instead, you need to stand alone and you need to stand apart. This is no easy thing, but here by the grace of God, we stand. And so we shall. God bless you. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.